Hey guys, it's Liz, and you are listening to Dear Younger Me, Love Me, where we give people the chance to write a letter to their younger selves in hopes that we can learn a little bit from their lives. Hey guys, welcome to Dear Younger Me, Love Me, and today we have a special guest, one of my very good friends, Raquel Kaufman, is here with us, and I lived with Raquel for like three years? Three years, yep. For three years, she was my roommate. We were in each other's weddings. She's over at my house at least once a week playing board games. We are definitely in a board game crew where we play a lot of strategy games together. She's the kind of person that when we get a new game, we give her the rules and she's the one that takes the rules and then explains it to us because her brain is the perfect fit for something like that. So I love details. <laughs> it's so good. Um, Raquel is a graphic designer at Smeckins Education and she lives here in Huntington, Indiana. But she's originally from Venezuela, then moved to Miami, and then in high school, she fell in love with the Midwest. Yes, I did. Because of a youth conference that she went on. She went and she was like, like, you just loved the atmosphere of the Midwest, right? I'm an introvert, and so this quiet, small town living just called my name. It called your name. And so from then on, she decided she wanted to go to college in the Midwest, so she went to Huntington University, and then has just been here ever since and I'm so thankful that she's here because she's a very good friend of mine and I hope that today you guys can be blessed by hearing some of Raquel's story and um, so Raquel growing up it I mean we all go through a lot of life lessons we all learn a lot in life and we have ups we have downs we have ups and downs happening at the same time internal external all of that and so share a little bit about one of the big lessons that you learned in life growing up yeah, so my life has definitely been a roller coaster in a lot of ways. I've learned a lot of lessons the hard way, um, and a lot of those lessons I'm still learning today, mm-hmm. honestly. Um, but high school was when this journey started, I would say. Um, it's kind of when everything turned. You went to a huge high school too, right? Yes. I was uh, in high school in Miami, Florida with 4,000 students. Gosh, 4,000 students. Yes. And um, on top of that, I would say maybe like 1% of the people were Christian, at least like Protestant Christian. Yeah. (laughs) So that wasn't um, really a place where I had like Christian friends there. I did have friends um, at church in my youth group, but... As far as high school, I was pretty reserved into myself, didn't have a ton of friends there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, But I guess my story is kind of unique in that in high school, I was probably the most dedicated and disciplined in my faith. Um, I know that's a time where a lot of other people struggle, and I struggled, as you will hear in other ways. But um, I uh, grew up in the evangelical church my entire life, um, and high school was when I really thrived in that setting, at least outwardly. I was very involved in youth group. I loved it. All um, all my best friends were there. I went to every youth conference I could. I went on every service trip. I literally read my Bible every day. Like I literally, at lunch, I wouldn't sit with my friends. I would sit by myself and read my Bible. And therefore I read the entire Bible in seven months, my sophomore year. You're also an insanely fast reader. Yes. So I was, I was feeling it. And um, I had, like I said, I had really good friends at church and I didn't really struggle with peer pressure. Um, I think I almost had a bit of pride about it. Yeah. Um, I loved being known as the Christian girl, 
you know, at school. And I kind of felt pride that like, you know, I'm not pressured by all those things that they're, you know, pressured by. Like I'm living, you know, anti-conformity life. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of my outside persona. And I mean, my inside too, um, for the most part. But when did you start following Jesus? Like for like, when did you get really serious about your faith? Yeah. So like I said, I grew up in the church. Um, I technically like accepted Jesus in my heart when I was six or seven. Um, and then the summer after seventh grade was when I went to my first youth conference at Purdue University, Okay, my first taste of the Midwest. And that summer at that conference was when I really, um, recommitted myself to Christ as they would say. Yeah. Um, and so that kind of started me on this journey of just going really all hard. in, yeah. all in, you went hard. Yes. Okay. That's cool. Um, and I, yeah. And I, you know, I kept that up in high school and it was something that was like really important to me. Um, but emotionally and mentally, I was in a lot of darkness for sure. Um, my family had been living in a really um, difficult situation for a long time. And just for personal reasons, I'm not getting into specifics. But anyway, high school was when we thought things were finally going to get better with this situation. Um, we thought God was going to provide a solution to these problems. And that didn't happen. And it was a situation that just made me feel made my whole family feel very unstable mm. and unsafe. And so it's just triggered, a lot of like insecurity. Yes. Kind and... of just feeling like any day anything could change. Yeah. And that's not a great environment to grow up in. Um, my family is great. I love them. Um, it was definitely external um, circumstances that we had no control over really. Anyway. So yeah, we thought um, around my freshman, sophomore year of high school, some things happened where we thought there were going to be great news and it ended up being not great news. Um, I still remember those very specific days when we were told bad news and I remember them very vividly. They were very hard, traumatic days for me. Yeah. Um, I felt traumatized, betrayed, devastated. I struggled with anxiety since I was a child, especially because of um, my unstable environment. But I hit an all-time low, probably my last a couple years of high school after well, yeah, all this happened. Yeah, because you're now emotionally and mentally mature enough to really start to sense what's actually going on and like seeing the toll it's taking on your family mm -hmm. and the toll it's taking on you and you're you're getting to that part where it's like I'm you're you're basically an adult now mm -hmm. and so you're able to really process these complex ideas and these complex things and. So then they're like, they settle in and they're like, oh my gosh, because like if you're really little, it's really easy to be like, okay, I don't really understand what's going on here, mm -hmm. but you understood everything yeah. that was happening. And I was the oldest of two kids and my little sister is eight and a half years younger than me. So she was really little when a lot of this stuff happened and I was very much a, like a mother figure to her. So I had a lot of, I felt a big responsibility to care for her. And, you know, my mom also struggles with anxiety. And, you know, my dad was just trying to keep us all together. Um, and I mean, my parents were, you know, struggling too. And so I just felt this responsibility maybe as an oldest child to kind of keep the, you know, keep everyone okay. Yeah. Um, and I think that's just also my personality is to want everyone else to be okay. And so I felt very burdened by that. And so I didn't really talk about my feelings. I probably didn't even 
connect with my feelings because I was so busy making sure that I was okay on the outside so that people didn't have to worry about me. Yeah. So like I said, um, you know, this was the time where my anxiety hit an all-time high, I guess. <laughs> I was at an all-time low. Yeah. I was very anxious all the time. And I would also say that at that time I experienced um, depression too. Mm-hmm. What did your anxiousness feel like or look like? in that time because I feel like anxiousness can come out in a lot of different ways Mm -hmm. so how did it manifest for you um I mean at the time which again this was kind of my entire life living in this situation just feeling like I literally had no idea what would happen tomorrow or the next day it felt everything felt unstable I felt like I was I was always on high alert of like okay you know is my mom calling with more bad news or like oh you know are we getting another letter in the mail with Mm -hmm. bad news just this feeling of being on high alert. Um, but honestly, I would say my depression kind of was a better way to, um, to describe my feelings yeah. um, in a sense because I felt, um, you know, I was, so like I said, I was in high school and especially like my junior, senior year when people are looking forward to the future, to college, to, you know, what career they're going to choose. I felt like I had no hope for my future because I thought things would never get better. And I wanted to trust in God so badly. Um, so I tried as hard as I could to prove my faithfulness. And it was almost like I was working overtime to just try to get him to care about me enough to do something. Because mm. I felt like I just spent all these years waiting for him to come through and to provide these solutions that my family needed to have a bright future. And I was just tired of waiting. And so I was like, well, maybe I just need to work harder so that he cares about me. Yeah. You're trying to earn his approval and earn his affection. Yes. And I mean, I knew, you know, that I have to earn his love or his salvation. But it was like, I I just didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. So I just worked harder. Yeah. You know, in my whole life, I was a very ambitious student. But just in my faith, I, you know, read more of the Bible. I prayed more and just was trying to... I don't know. I was just trying to do something to try to fix the situation because I felt like Mm -hmm. God wasn't doing it. Um, And at this time, I would not have said that I had, you know, any mental illnesses. I would not have said that I experienced trauma. Um, This was, you know, 2009, 2010. And at that time, um, I feel like mental health wasn't talked about as much as it is now, especially not in like evangelical spaces and churches I was told to just keep trusting in God to keep praying to believe that he was in control Uh, but because of that thinking I feel like at the time I thought the hard things that happened to me were my fault then you know I didn't have enough faith I didn't pray enough I didn't trust enough and I thought my emotions and my anxiety were just me being dramatic or being such a girl, like I Mm. literally every day I look at my time hop from that time and every Facebook status is just like, I'm so emotional today. I'm such a girl. Like, why am I being so dramatic? I'm so dumb. Mm -hmm. You know, I um, had a lot of shame for my emotions. Um, Well, yeah, because like good, where you grew up, what you heard all growing up is that like Christians are happy Christians have all the blessings. Mm-hmm. Christ, like if you have enough faith, then God will give you everything you want. Not necessarily Joel Olstein prosperity <laughs> gospel, which, yeah. you know, if you listen to him, great. But like 
but you had that logic of, you know, prayer plus reading my Bible every day equals God's favor, yeah. right? And when that wasn't happening, it, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. And, you know, not to kind of veer off topic, but even just, you know, as a female, I feel like that was a message that was given to us of like, you know, don't be so emotional. Yeah. Don't be so dramatic, you yeah. know? And yeah, one of my most hilarious, um, embarrassing, kind of sad, but now beloved accomplishments <laughs> Is my emo high school blog? Oh. <laughs> I had a WordPress blog in high school. What what what's the what's the username if you oh, want to look it up? That's a whole story. <laughs> I'm not gonna tell you. Um, cause at the time, um, I didn't really talk to my friends. You know, definitely not at school, cause I was very much kind of, you know, a loner at school. But not even at church. I didn't really talk about these deep dark feelings. You know, people knew like what was happening at church at least, but I didn't really have space or really a way to talk about you know my anxiety and my depression you know again at the time I probably wouldn't have called it anxiety or depression and so I wrote a lot of my feelings out on this blog for many years many many years um, a lot of it is really cringy and embarrassing for sure um, but a lot of it is honestly just really telling of my mental state I still go back and read it sometimes and I just see how desperate I was for empathy for help for you know someone to see how much I was hurting because like on the outside I was this you know super ambitious student I was a dedicated Christian you know I was an outgoing friend at church and I was just trying so hard to hide all these feelings I was having because of how much shame I felt about them yeah it's like inner turmoil of all of this stuff going on but that's not how you want to be portrayed. That's not how you want to be. Mm-hmm. Or in your head, maybe that's not what you're supposed to be. Yeah. Right? I feel like it was more that. Okay. Of, yeah, what, what I was supposed to be. I kind of wanted just, I wanted to give this image of, you know, someone who is strong and is put together and isn't phased by emotions or mm-hmm. fear or sadness. You know, I wanted to stay positive throughout all of it, even yeah. though I felt very not positive. And yeah, like my own mom to this day, when I've talked to her um, more recently about this time in in my life and on both of our lives, she had no clue what was going on. Like I, I have talked to her about, you know, I was so anxious, I was so depressed. And she's like, I thought you were completely fine. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I have a very good, you know, um, relationship with my mom so it was out to Yasmira I know she's listening (laughs) hey mom yeah so we were close but you know especially because she also you know um has anxiety and she was suffering Mm -hmm. so much like I didn't want to put that on her yeah um and so she had no clue what was happening she thought I was completely fine she was like I thought you were just being like so strong and I mean I was being strong in my own way but I definitely was hurting a lot on the inside and she didn't know yeah it's so easy to do that too though to put on this like strong face and to be especially when we're teenagers Mm -hmm. I know I did that too like when when I was growing up and there was I mean I had some trauma growing up too and like my my dad you know struggling with alcohol abuse and to this to this day like when when you talk about it they're like we thought we were fine mm-hmm. we thought you were just being a strong kid yeah. and in my in my head i'm like oh i wasn't fine <laughs> i was not okay yeah but i didn't know how to talk about it i didn't know if i would like 
I didn't want to be a burden to Mm -hmm. other people. And honestly, I didn't even know how to process my own feelings outside of even learning how to talk to other people about them. Yeah, for sure. So it's, it's, it's so easy to do that and to just feel like you have to put on a strong front. Yes. Even though... I mean, your mom would have been there for you, mm-hmm. right? Like no one told us to be Mm-mm. strong, but we have this idea in our head of that's what real strength is, is to toughen that upper lip and keep a smile on. And and, and it's it's so hard to, to navigate hard things mm-hmm. when we feel like that's how we have to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so kind of as I alluded to earlier, like I was going through all this stuff, but again, I honestly don't think I knew the extent of what was happening until a lot later. So again, that was high school. Um, And thankfully things worked out, so I was able to go to college and obviously come here. And I finally started going to therapy in college, um, and I really started going deep when I went again after college, so like right out of graduation, I was, uh, you know, like 22, 23, I went to therapy and processed a lot of that stuff for the first time. Mm-hmm. Well, because you had the space to do it mm-hmm. then, you know, you you were away from your environment. Mm-hmm. You we didn't have the pressure of school anymore or, or anything like that. So maybe that was a good spot for you to 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 process those. Yeah. And I was also just in a time in my life. So again, this was right out of you know, right after college. And so I moved back here that fall after I graduated college in 2015. That's when I moved in with Liz. Yes. But at the time, I, you know, all of my best friends or a lot of my best friends were still in college. So I didn't see them as much. I had just, you know, moved in with Liz and we were friends, but we weren't like that close yet. And so, it was, you know, it was a new situation. I was kind of away from my um, college friends who were younger than me. You know, I was starting you know, my first full-time job, and I was just very lonely. And I feel like a lot of post-grads are lonely because you're trying to figure out how do I, like, make relationships outside of school? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> you're in school your whole life. And so I was just very alone, and so I realized that I had all of this unprocessed emotion that was keeping me from being healthy and also keeping me from healthy relationships. And so that was when I was like, okay, I don't know what's going on, but I have to deal with this stuff. Yeah. And so when I went to therapy during that time, I learned a lot about myself. Um, I finally um, was able to process my past um, and my past self or younger self mm-hmm. um, to lead to the podcast. Um, <laughs> and at the time, um, most of what I worked on was honestly um, my self-worth because I didn't really have any. Um, I didn't really see my personal value at all. Um, and like I said, I kept everyone in my life at a distance at this time. And I think I was harboring a lot of anger at God without realizing that I was. Yeah. Um, and so to kind of go deeper into that, um, so I hated myself because of all that shame I felt about being so emotional and fragile. Um, and again, I feel like at this time, you know, this is when I was, like I said, you know, like 22. At that time, I was a little bit removed from, you know, that intense trauma. So I think I'd kind of like put it at the back of my head and didn't realize how much it had affected me. Well, yeah, because you lived across the country. Yeah. Now. Yeah. College was a great time and I felt pretty good then. And so I kind of like was like, oh, maybe I'm over all that high school stuff. Yeah. You know, but I I, I really was not. <laughs> um, I yeah, like I said, I hated myself because I felt a lot of shame from that time 
that I was holding on to that I wasn't aware of. Um, just shame about being so emotional and fragile. And in my mind, you know, I saw my, my past self, my high school self as weak. Yeah. Um, and I still had a very low view of myself because I still saw myself as that high schooler. And yeah, I kept others at a distance because I didn't want to share those shameful things or those shameful feelings with anyone um, because I didn't want to be a burden. I didn't want people to, you know, see me as I saw my high school self. They didn't, you know, I was like, people are going to see me as too much or emotional or weak. And so I didn't really talk to people about it. So I didn't really have a lot of close friendships. Yeah. You were just like, you were just afraid. I was very closed off. Yeah. Afraid of being real, vulnerable, of people like... I I always think about t- those times in our life when we're struggling with things and then somebody gives you a compliment and mm-hmm. they compliment you on, oh man, you're such a good person or man, you have so much joy in life or they give they give you a compliment. And in my head, I would always be like, oh, but if only you knew this, yeah. then you wouldn't feel those things about me, yeah. right? Like I that was always that shame talk in the back of my head of, oh, you tell me something nice about me? You probably won't think that mm-hmm. once you know the real me. Yeah. Right. Actually, one of the things I did in therapy was my therapist had to teach me how to take compliments mm-hmm. because every time he'd be like, oh, you're such a good artist. I'd be like, uh, but, you know, I could be better or whatever. Like, oh, you're so strong. And I was like, no, I'm not strong. I'm, you know, so weak and so emotional and fragile. Yeah. Like I had such a low view of myself and that honestly affects your entire life. I think it's very important to um, see value in yourself in order to live a like productive, healthy yeah. existence. <laughs> well, yeah, um, and, and even like God calls us to be humble, but he doesn't call us to trash ourselves. You yeah. know, like humility isn't dragging yourself no. through the dirt. Humility is thinking of yourself less. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you get a compliment, being humble isn't saying oh well I'm not that great of an artist or Mm -hmm. oh I'm not that you know that's not humility that's just you know not taking a compliment and not letting somebody appreciate something a gift that God has given you yeah well I'll say like on one end of the spectrum is thinking oh I'm better than everyone else that's pride but then at the other end is thinking I'm worse than everyone else Mm -hmm. that's not humility no and that's kind of where I was and yeah and then you know kind of going into the faith um part of my life I I did harbor a lot of anger at God and I think it's because I never admitted that I was angry at him in the first place I kind of took that vague feeling of resentment and put it toward myself so I took all the blame for what happened to me and I put it on myself for not being good enough instead of realizing that I I was a victim of my experiences you know I didn't I didn't have to feel shame over having a hard time because things happened to me that were yeah. really hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. In therapy, I finally realized I had experienced trauma. I literally never used that word to describe my life until I went to therapy when I was 22. Mm-hmm. And heck, even now I'm now 27 and I just started therapy again. And I just recently learned from my therapist that I've probably lived with PTSD my entire life yeah. because of all these things that happened. And I'm like, Wow. Okay. <laughs> okay, that's a new um, And thing. again, not that, you know, I feel shame or bad about it, but it's like, wow, I was really going through stuff and I did not and I thought, oh, I'm just being, you know, I'm just overreacting, you know, I just need to be stronger, I just need to be better. I was like, no, I was going through a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so I finally realized that my younger self 
you know, she wasn't, an, you know, an attention seeking because that's what I thought I was, especially with my blog. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, I'm just seeking attention. I wasn't attention seeking. I wasn't being dramatic. I wasn't this annoying teenage girl. I mean, maybe I was sometimes, but that wasn't. I thought that was the core of who I was. And yeah. I and, and I really wasn't. I was broken. I was anxious. I was depressed. I had been traumatized. Um, and so during that time when I was in therapy, I had to learn how to have love and compassion for my younger self. And I had to learn, this, this is going to sound kind of weird, but how to like hold her and comfort her yeah. instead of shame her. Like I literally had um, a session, again, back when I was, you know, um, in my early 20s, where my counselor had me sit in one chair and then talk to an empty chair as if my 14-year-old self was sitting there. Mm -hmm. And it was such a powerful experience to be able to see that person as not me necessarily, but as someone else who is deserving of empathy. Yeah. And like I, I had not had compassion for my younger self until that moment, until I was able to detach all my own personal shame from that person and be like, wow, she was hurting. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't need me now, my present self, to make her feel worse. Mm-hmm. Like, she needs someone to love her. Yeah. And so that was very, very That is so important. powerful. Mm-hmm. How did you, like, dur- okay, so that moment. Yes. And from living with you, I know there were plenty of times where you came back from therapy, <laughs> eyes filled with tears, and you're like, that was a really good one. And I'm like, oh, I'm so glad. But in that moment of of doing that empty chair activity and 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 sharing that and you you hinted at like you you didn't really experience compassion for yourself Mm -hmm. until then what did it look like for you to not have self-compassion and then all of a sudden practice compassion for yourself in a flip of a switch so it was it was definitely hard to do that at first but it was really impactful to again separate that past self from my current shame because the problem that I was dealing with at the time was that I didn't see my own value I had a lot of shame about myself um again I had very low self-esteem and so that younger self was tied with that yeah and so I hated that younger self because she was again so weak so fragile Mm -hmm. and so when I was able to separate her from those feelings of of shame and self-hatred I was like Wow. And again, once I kind of learned through this therapy that she had experienced trauma, she had been through something horrible. She was experienced. um, She was going through depression. She was going through anxiety. You know, it's basically again, I feel like this is um, kind of like a cliche, but it's like, you know, like be yourself as like you would view a friend. Mm -hmm. And so I basically talked to her as I would talk to another 14 year old girl that told me all these things about herself. Yeah. And, like, my heart broke for her, who was me. Mm-hmm. But that's just kind of the the um, the switch that flipped was kind of separating my present self from her and being able to see her with new eyes. Yes. Because a big thing that I learned in therapy is that our younger selves don't stay in the past. <laughs> um, even though, you know, we change and we think that we move on, um, our younger selves are part of us and they stay with us and they affect how we act as adults, either in obvious or, you know, subtle ways. Um, And so those younger selves, they need to be loved and taken care of in ways that they weren't taken care of or loved before. Mm. That is, I think, something that a lot of people go through. You know, they needed to be loved and cared for in certain ways in their youth. And if they weren't, then they become 
unhealthy adults. And so then as adults, we have to go back and love and take care of our younger selves in those ways that we needed at the time. Well, that's what growth is Mm -hmm. too. And oh, there is a really, there's an analogy in one of the Enneagram books that I've read where we talk about how as, as children, we we're little seeds and we develop a little a seed coating to protect ourselves right and so Mm -hmm. that was your seed coating to protect yourself because you didn't your your mind even though you were a teenager your mind didn't know how to compute what was really going on Mm -hmm. and so it came out as this self-protected you're like okay well if i'm just strong enough i might this this thing that's what i need to protect myself and in traumatic moments we really need some of those things Mm -hmm. but growth means when you plant the seed eventually the seed has to shed that coat Mm -hmm. and that seed has to be able to sprout and grow but if we never deal with that that seed is never going to shed its its seed coating and sprout and grow into a healthy adult yes you know it's one of my favorite analogies because it's like wow so many of us or so many parts of us are trapped in seeds yes like we're trapped with these coatings on because we're not dealing with stuff that happened in the past because it's too hard we don't want to think about it we feel dramatic or we're like oh why can't we just get over it right it's like oh you know i've moved on like that's not affecting me anymore yeah it always does (laughs) it does it always does Mm -hmm. yeah and so yeah so that was very important for me to uh, find compassion for my younger self And through that, I was able to let go of a lot of that shame and self-hatred that I had for both my younger self and my present self at Mm -hmm. that time. And so I finally learned then that I was I was worthy of love and that I needed others to love me, too. And I needed others to help me walk through this hard stuff instead of just keeping it all in and trying to figure it out for myself because obviously that didn't work for me in high school. And, you know, years later, it still wasn't working for me. And so I'm very thankful that at that time I was able to open up to people. And now I have very strong relationships and I have people that I tell absolutely everything to and will cry in front of and I'm very um, like vulnerable with. And I was not that way before. Mm-hmm. So that was really important. And then going even deeper, I also... Um, kind of learned how to admit that I was angry at God for a lot of the things that happened. And that not only helped me stop being angry at myself, because like I said, I didn't know I was angry at God. And so I put a lot of that anger on myself for not being good enough, not being faithful enough, not praying enough. And so in kind of admitting that I was actually angry at God, I stopped being angry at myself. Um, But I also dealt with that anger toward God because it also wasn't his fault either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, suffering, um, at least in my belief, is not God's fault, though he can teach us and he can bring good out of painful experiences. I believe that painful experiences are not something that he necessarily chooses or desires for us. You know, in those times, he mourns with us. Yeah. You know, when we're in the dark, um, when we're in the wilderness, I know that's a big like Brene Brown term oh. that I love. You know, in those times where we're hurting or we're questioning, you know, in that wilderness, I don't need to work that hard to find him Mm -hmm. because he's already there. He's already in the wilderness with me. Yeah. And so I was able to not only let go of the anger at myself, but also the anger at God because I'm like, oh, he didn't do this to me. I didn't do this to me. This just happened to me because the world is broken. Mm -hmm. And it's not me trying to prove something to God. It's both of us 
you know, working together and mourning together Mm -hmm. to help me heal and move forward. Yeah. One of my favorite verses is Hebrews 619, where it says we have this hope as an anchor for our soul, Mm -hmm. where it's like he's already anchoring us. And Mm -hmm. the anchor doesn't say that the boat's never going to experience storms. And it, but it's going to keep you steady within all of that because he's never going to leave us. Yeah. And he's never going to forsake us. And God could also handle us being mad at him. Yes. You know, for like sure. we can scream at him. You can yell at him. You can be so mad at God. And unlike human beings where we have a hard time taking that anger, God's like, bring it on yes. because you're connecting with me still. I will take that anger from you mm-hmm. and I will ex- like you can yell at me all you want because you're still talking to me. Yeah. And it's a lot healthier to bring that anger or that resentment or that bitterness to God because otherwise kind of like what happened with me, I never brought those things to him. And so they just kind of grew and festered into this vague disconnection with God that I didn't understand until I realized, oh, I was just mad. Yeah. And so I just have to tell him that so mm-hmm. that he can be like, that's okay. Like, and also well, like, I already knew that. Yeah. Like I already knew that. <laughs> like, it's okay. Yeah. Like you're hurting and that's fine. And I'm here with you yeah. and we'll get through this. Yeah. Read all of Psalms. Yes. David gets so mad at God. Like, yes. why have you left me? Why have you forsaken me? Yes. I'm walking through the val- valley of shadow of death. Like there's, it, he is dramatic about his anger and it is scriptural to be able to express that to god yeah and honestly some of the scripture that helped me the most both even in high school but especially during that time when i was processing my high school years i read a lot of scriptures of lament Mm -hmm. um those were probably my favorite ones (laughs) again maybe going back to my emo high school blog days well it gave you words to what you were feeling because psalms is basically like david's emo high school blog right um (laughs) what that's incredible you can quote that you can tweet that um so yeah so i i clung on to those i don't know if that's a proper verb usage but like those were my anchors at the time um you know specifically like um Lamentations 3, Psalm 42, those are great verses where it's just like, things suck. Mm -hmm. And, you know, literally like my tears are my food are something that, you know, like David says, and that's how I felt. And so these, you know, weren't necessarily verses that like were super triumphant or that promised that everything was going to be okay right away. Um, You know, those have their place in time, but these verses like held space for my anxiety, my depression, my anger without shame. And these, because these were verses that just promised that God was with us in that pain and that he was in this darkness with me and that I could hold grief and hope together. Cause those verses do have, you know, like messages of hope, but it's very much in balance with that grief. Mm -hmm. And so those verses gave me space and room to be like, I can hold these really hard things and my faith in God together. I don't need to try to cancel out my grief or my anxiety or my depression with trying to have more faith mm-hmm. you know those things can exist together yeah, they don't cancel each other out yeah they they fully exist in both places because god experienced grief when jesus died mm-hmm. like jesus experienced grief at the garden when he's praying and asking god to take this cup away from him mm-hmm. and but he still had his faith yeah and he still had hope. like they happen at the same time and i think it's hard for us as humans 
to we, we're so black and white thinking mm-hmm. or right or wrong or hope or no hope or yeah, like yeah there's 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 room for both of them yes um another verse or another passage that actually speaks a lot into that is a passage that I actually did a sermon on um, a few years ago. It was about the story of um, Lazarus um, dying and him coming back to life. And even though Jesus knew that he was going to bring him back to life, he still wept over his death, which I felt was like the perfect illustration of, you know, we don't know what's going to happen, but even Jesus who knew what was going to happen still took time to grieve. Mm -hmm. And that is so powerful. Yeah, that's incredible. Mm -hmm. And it's so important to learn how to hold both of those at the same time. And just because you're sad doesn't mean you can't have hope. Just because you're experiencing anxiety doesn't mean you don't have faith. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're, they're, they're both. And yes, there are some times where anxiety takes us over and we need to address those things and release those to God and include them into community. But that's why he built us and community the way it's supposed to be is so that we can carry it with each other yeah and the first step in you know reaching out to your friends for help or to you know walking with god through it is to admit that it's happening yeah um and not just pretend that everything is fine Mm -hmm. for sure yeah so right now raquel i'd love for you to read your letter to your younger self dear younger me first of all i am so sorry you dealt with so much pain so much fear so much sadness, so much trauma, so much disappointment. I'm sorry you had to experience so many deep, dark, mature emotions so early in life. And I'm sorry that you did that alone. You are so strong, even though you don't feel like it. I'm so sorry that you don't know how to help yourself right now, that you don't even know you need help. It's okay. You have me. I love you so much. I'm here to scoop you up and hold you and hug you and tell you that you're okay. It's going to be okay. Your future is so much brighter than you can imagine. But it's also really hard. (laughs) Things will get complicated. You will question everything. You will deconstruct and reconstruct. You'll walk in the wilderness a lot. But you're okay. You are strong. You are capable. And God is with you. In the darkness, in the fear, in the pain, in the wilderness, there's no shame in it. You don't have to try so hard to find God when everything is hard. He's already there. Stop working so much to figure him out. Lean into the mystery and the wonder and rest in his love. There is so much more freedom in letting go than in holding on. Open your eyes to see God where you haven't seen him before. He's already there. And do not be ashamed of that beautiful, emotion-filled heart of yours. It is your strength. You are not a sappy, dramatic teenage girl. You are an incredible, strong woman. You are full of compassion and love for others, a love that will grow exponentially. You are a gentle, soft place for others to land. Don't ever hold back in boldly loving every person the way Jesus did. Keep advocating for people even when others are trying to tell you you're wrong. It is your great gift. Jesus delights in you. And though I can confirm that you will forget this when you're older, I still want to remind you that you deserve to be happy. You deserve to live beyond your prisons of fear and sadness. Let go of trying to predict and control your future and just savor the present. The future is uncertain, but God is already there. 
God desires your heart and your joy more than your knowledge or all the rules you follow. I know this is all scary. I'm still trying to figure this out myself, but we'll figure it out. We'll get there. You are so loved. Just hang in there. Love me. Mm, that's so that's so beautiful and so such a good message for anybody to to hear those things and to experience that and I love it that you told yourself to stop trying so hard mm-hmm. right like it's just sometimes you just have to let go God doesn't tell like there's there's very few commandments in the Bible where God's like just try harder. <laughs> I don't, that's not in there. Yeah. Right. It's, it's come to me, all of you who are weary and I will give you rest. Like he, he commands us to rest. Even mm-hmm. when he tells us to, to work out our faith, it's, it's through him. Mm-hmm. Right. And so like, sometimes we try to just grab onto life and just white knuckle our way through things. Mm-hmm. But sometimes we just have to let go and stop trying so hard. And I think that's what the peace and rest that God gives us. Mm-hmm. We're able to finally access those when we're just, when we just stop trying. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And a lot of anxiety too is trying to hold on to this certainty that is actually unattainable and trying to figure out what the future is going to be like and trying to predict it. And you know, especially as a Christian, it's trying to you know predict. You know, like how's God you know going to show up for me? How is God going to fix this? You know, what happens in the future? And you're just trying so hard to figure it out. At least I did as someone with anxiety, because I was trying to find peace in this certainty of the future. And what God has been teaching me, and what God taught me then, and He's still teaching me now, is just let go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like. You can't figure out what I'm going to do and you can't figure out what's going to happen, but I'm already there. Yeah. Like, just let me take care of it Mm -hmm. and don't try to put me in these boxes or trying to figure out exactly how I work. Like, just rest and know that wherever you go, I'm already there. Yeah. Yeah. And I I immediately think of... um... Well, a couple of things. Number one, it's insane to think think about God being omnipresent. Mm-hmm. Omnipresent, which means he is all present. As in, he is not a slave to time. Yeah. Like, we're a slave to time. We have to move from 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock. Like, we have to. Mm-hmm. But God can, he's, he's not in time. And so he can be fully present with you now, fully present with 14-year-old you, mm-hmm. and fully present with 30-year-old you at the same time. Yeah. It's, I mean, he has this capacity that we are not able to even understand. And I love that about God that like, Mm -hmm. he is so, so much farther beyond it. And it makes me think of the times where like I fall asleep on an airplane. Okay. I'm not waking up in the middle of the time I'm sleeping on the airplane, worrying that the pilots know how to do their job. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm trusting I'm trusting that the (laughs) unless there's like big turbulence or that kind of thing. That's when we're like, do they know what they're doing? But like, I can, I can rest because I trust that they know what they're doing. And sometimes I do have fears like that because, you know, anxiety is so fun that way. <laughs> but, yeah, it is just, you know, daily practice and learning of letting go of those little fears and just letting go of that need for control of every moment. Yeah. And just being like, you know, whatever happens, like, it happens mm-hmm. and God is already there. Yeah. That's so good. So, 
if somebody's in the same spot as you and they're sitting there and maybe they are they struggle with anxiety mm-hmm. or maybe they look back on themselves and they're like i i hate my younger self mm-hmm. or i can't believe i was so weak yeah. or they went through something really difficult growing up and haven't been able to address it yet what's some advice that you might have for someone in a similar spot mm-hmm. to you yeah um thankfully i do feel like um, compared to, you know, 10, 15 years ago, mental health is talked about a lot. So that's great. But I would say um, if you're struggling with anxiety or depression or just struggling with these dark emotions that maybe you can't name yet, get help mm-hmm. if you need it. Get help if you don't think you need it, but like you probably do need it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you're struggling, get help. Um, don't shame yourself for, you know, reacting to your trauma or your mental illness. You know, stuffing down those hard emotions doesn't help anyone. It doesn't help you. It doesn't help those around you. And you are strong for admitting that you're struggling and asking for help. You know, having struggles and needing help is not a sign of weakness. Yeah. Admitting that you need help is a sign of strength. Mm-hmm. And I just, again, wish I could have told myself that yeah. back then. And yeah, and if you are, you know, maybe a little bit older and looking back at a past version of yourself and you have a lot of, you know, hard feelings or a lot of shame about that person, learn to see yourself with compassion. You know, um, God doesn't necessarily want you to make good choices to earn his approval or to prove anything to him. He wants you to make good choices because he desires your joy. He desires your heart. He wants you to participate in his work of loving others and, you know, like redeeming the world. Um, you know, even when you make mistakes, like there is no need to feel shame because you are inherently valuable and you're just a human being. And things that you do are usually, again, just reactions to hard things that happen. So, yeah, if you make a mistake, you know, you can grow from it, but don't shame yourself. See yourself with love and value and compassion. Because, again, in that darkness, in that pain, God is already there, ready to help you to move forward. He's not there meeting you with condemnation or Mm -hmm. with shame. You know, he's there to meet you with love. So meet yourself with love, too. Yeah. Um, And kind of going along with that, you know, do make space for dark emotions. You know, don't just try to stuff things down, um, even though they seem overwhelming or scary. Maybe you think you're dramatic or overreacting. Like, you're not, you know, make space for those dark emotions and see, again, that God is already present in them and find friends that will make space for those emotions too. Yeah. Um, And not every friend, you know, have a few close friends that can hold that space for you and that, um, you know, you can trust with those things, but definitely have those people in your life mm-hmm. because they will help you get through those dark emotions. You know, I, again, I do love an emo blog and an emo song and mm-hmm. I, you know, can wallow in my sadness, but the goal of connecting with your dark emotions, again, is never to stay in them, but in putting them out in the open and, you know, talking through them with God, with your friends, you're able to heal and move forward. Yeah. You know, again, stuffing them down will never help you heal. It'll only make it worse. Mm-hmm. So give space, give room for those dark feelings. 
And I know that sometimes it seems like, oh, but you know, it, I'm going to be too much for people. I'm a burden. That Again, that's something I struggled with so much and I kept people at such a distance because of that. But one quote that I read um, in a book by um, Donald Miller, it's called um, Scary Close, was you were created to be loved and enjoyed by others, not just tolerated. Yeah. Let people truly love you and let yourself truly love you and don't hide because once you open yourself up to love, then you will open up all that shame and that guilt and that fear and that sadness to be shown light and to be given love and then you will begin to heal Hmm. gosh that is that is such a needed message and just so powerful and i'm so glad that you're able to sit here and communicate that now in in a clear and confident way and Mm -hmm. um and really trust that for yourself and yes there are probably some days where you have a harder time believing that now yeah uh, because it's a back and forth and it's a constant going back and reminding ourselves of those truths yeah but i'm so glad that you that you've been able to work through that and 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 do the hard work Mm -hmm. because it really it's hard work it's not easy there's a reason why everybody numbs ourselves all the time because our um, our darker emotions are harder emotions they don't call them hard for a reason Mm -hmm. you know so if you're struggling with stuff inside put your phone down for a little bit give yourself like giving space doesn't mean rushing to hope Giving mm-hmm. space mean, like, means sitting there and allowing yourself to feel what you feel until you're done feeling it, mm-hmm. and then you can move on to something else. And yeah. it's, it's learning how to process in the midst of it instead of just tucking it under the rug. Yeah, and it definitely is super hard work. And again, I am still going to therapy today, and I probably will keep going for a long time, and that's okay. You know, it's hard work, and these things – you know, these past things will come up again and again. But again, just give space for those things and don't shame yourself for them. And when those hard emotions come up, love yourself through it, you know, turn to God, turn to your friends and, you know, you'll get through it. Yeah. You'll get through it. Well, Raquel, thank you so, so much for coming to share and for being a part of this podcast and for sharing your experience and, it has been so cool watching because obviously I knew you and you were the 22-year-old self working mm-hmm. through all of this. And it has been so cool just being a part of this journey with you. And it's a privilege to be your friend and to um, experience life with you and to see the way that God is continually working out your faith with fear and trembling over and over and over again. And I love being your friends. You're a great friend and it's super fun. And if you guys learn anything from Raquel, I hope that you can walk away just knowing her heart and knowing that um, that God is going to be always with us no mm-hmm. matter what through our ups and through our downs. And so Raquel, thank you so much for being here. You're awesome. And I can't wait for other people to hear this awesome story. Thank you for yeah. inviting me on and for those who listened to my story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And everybody at home, thank you so much for listening to Dear Younger Me, Love Me. Guys, make sure you go and like us on social media. We're on Facebook or check out our hashtag on Instagram. If you like this podcast, it is so helpful to go on and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Share this with people on Spotify. And everybody, I hope you learned a lot about Raquel a lot about yourself, and even more about God. Go out and have an awesome day.